It's signs, cosines, and tangents! In our effort to keep things mixed up a little bit, we've changed our intro. What do you think? Um, it's all right. Yeah, we'll just have to wait for Kyle to yell at us about how stupid it is, right? Yeah, I think I think uh, we're trying to cater towards a younger audience. And, uh, <laughs> younger, far younger than us, right? You know, all those five to ten year old podcast listeners. Uh, or let's just aim for thirteen. Let's go for the senior demographic. <laughs> No. Anyway, so welcome to the latest episode. We have a lot of good things to talk about this week. Um, we've been, you know, storing up all the news goodies, and you know what? There really wasn't anything to talk about the last two weeks, so I'm glad we didn't do podcasts the last two weeks. Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, I was sitting there struggling to figure out what we were going to talk about that, you know, was important that it happened in the gap that we had between the last episode. Comic Con happened. Who cares? It's all just a marketing trailer con happened. No, we talked about some of that though. Did we? Yeah. No, we didn't. Yes, we did. Did we? We did. I looked at the show notes. I think it's been longer than you think it's been. It's only been two weeks. It's been like three weeks. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter because these are immortal podcasts that go forward in time. They're evergreen podcasts. So this this intro part where we talk about you know timely stuff. Pretty soon, people will just skip past it to the really interesting, meaty part of the episodes. Meaty. Well, needy probably is a better term. <laughs> but uh, no, so uh, why don't we get the tangents out of the way? Out of the way? I mean, they're kind of in the in way the of way? the topic, aren't they? Are, that's, it's part of our title. That's one third of our title. Well, true. So it doesn't have to be one third of the episode, though. It generally is. It's generally more. <laughs> okay. You're you're like dinging and buzzing all over the place. Sorry. Uh, you know, your 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 recording discipline is out the window. You sorry, take two I, weeks off. Jeez. You, we're relocated to your headquarters right now. Yes, we're down in the bunker. The bunk is this what you call your office? Yes. My my office is the bunker. So I'm a little out of my element, so to speak. Well it's a little flat and gray down here. You could change that. I'm going to change that. Okay, good. The people who uh, painted this room before we bought the house were big OSU fans, so I'm in this slate gray room with... Well, I guess I could change the lighting. I've got the hue lights. That's what I meant. Oh, okay. Pay attention, Sean. I I really can't be bothered. (laughs) So, on the tangents list... Yes. And and you say I'm That was me that time. That was you. Man, high quality podcast right now. Hey, let's see if we can see every electronic noise in the entire room go off. (laughs) I did mute my other computer and my printer. You muted your printer? Yeah, by turning it off. Does it have a mute feature? Would you like me to turn it on so you can see? Can you use Spotify on your printer? Oh, probably. It's an HP. It probably has some kind of virus that lets it do that. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about Bright. And I'm not talking about the lights in your office or that... That shade of gray that's in your office. You know, that's it. I'm changing the light colors while we're talking. Everybody who's listening can see it. What? They can't. It's a podcast. Oh. It's purple now. <laughs> Which is actually a very subdued kind of yeah. chill. So, anyhow, anyhow, bright. Bright. What's bright about? It's a Netflix 
theatrical premiere. It's a blockbuster. I think this is their highest budget film they've made to date. Well, so you got to pay a lot of money to afford Will Smith. And it's got Will Smith. Because the Fresh Prince be hanging out with orcs. You know, they tried their 30 movie deal with Adam Sandler to make 30 different horrible movies. Yeah, they only made like 28 of them that were horrible. There were two of them that they didn't make. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) We got a break. So, Bright. um, Yes. If you haven't seen it yet, watch the trailer. Stop what you're doing, watch the trailer, and then come back. But can you explain this to me? Yeah, it's Racism the Movie. Can you elaborate a little bit Oh, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to put it more subtly than that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the the basic premise is that Will Smith is a cop. I know this is a new role for him. In L.A. In L.A. In a racially divided L.A., except instead of human beings of different skin colors, which really isn't a race, by the way, um, it is a bunch of people who are elves and orcs and humans. And he has an orc partner. And orcs are known for kind of being thugs and unintelligent. And yeah, the parallels are a little too on the nose for me here in that we talk about racial stereotypes and maybe it's because they have Will Smith playing the human who represents the privileged class. And then you've got the orc who's a guy in makeup. And then you've got the elves who float around and it's all about a MacGuffin. The magic wand. There's a magic wand that has actual magic power. That I guess apparently the orcs and the elves and the humans don't have magic normally? I guess. I don't know. It looks weird, interesting, and just like... And, and it's apparently a genre called urban fantasy. Well, there is a genre called urban fantasy. There's lots of books and TV shows and stuff like that about it. I didn't know that. Well, I mean, uh, Grimm. Grimm, Dresden Files. I mean, there's 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 a lot of urban fantasy. Yeah, but, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was yeah, urban all fantasy. All those were like... The secret magic world's over here, and humans are going back and forth in their day-to-day lives, not knowing about it. And this is just like, hey, the elf over there is, you know, he runs the deli on the... Well, I don't think elves run delis because they're high elves. Oh my gosh, I can't win here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm actually interested to see this. It comes out at the end of this month on Netflix. It's not going into theaters. This is like Netflix produced it, and they're putting it directly on the streaming service. And, and we'll come back to kind of some strange changes that are happening in the movie business right now. But is this the beginning of the end for Cineplex? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think it's just, you know, it, would this premiere in theaters and be good and make a lot of money? Probably not. But it can premiere on Netflix and just live there for a while. And- I think it's too niche. I think yeah. that... As you said, you've got some confusion about what they're trying to accomplish here. Yeah. And I'm I'm not confused at all about what the story's about because, come on, it's a very obvious play on, you know, your traditional racial divide in humanity. Um, and maybe they'll throw some interesting tropes in there with a magic wand and elves and, you know, whatever. But it does bring back some memories for me as a role-playing game fan of uh, the setup for Shadowrun the old pen and paper role playing and it was later some video games on the genesis and the super nintendo and then now on the pc oh and there was that xbox 360 game which was pretty horrible but uh the whole concept of Shadowrun was that at a certain point in time in the future in the 2000s <laughs> the far away <laughs> 2000s i think it was 1999 or 2000 at the end of the millennium 
um, magic came back into the world and people who were normally people who had repressed genealogy that lead back to elves and orcs and trolls and all this stuff started to show magical traits and and I'm wondering if it's kind of that kind of setup, or I, I don't know. There's not enough in the trailer for me to ga- gauge whether that's what they're doing, but it's it's not a new concept to reintroduce magical creatures or fantasy creatures into a modern day setting. But generally, you don't get Will Smith in that kind of a movie. It's usually like that one guy from 90210 who does all the Sharknado films. Oh, what's his name? I was going to say Luke Perry. Ian but- Ziering. Yeah, Ian Ziering. No, this is higher budget than those movies. <laughs> Way higher, actually. Speaking of which, Sharknado 5. Global yeah, we have to slip that one into the notes. Tomorrow. Yeah, it happens tomorrow. And, and President Trump was going to do a, uh, a cameo, but they said that probably wasn't a very good idea for him because he'd have to stop playing golf. <laughs> anyway, not anyway. diving into politics. Anyhow. Anyhow. Anywho... So, yeah, Bright will be out at the end of this month. Uh, Orcs, Elves, Will Smith, none of that's believable as part of the LAPD, but, you know, so be it. I'll check it out. Yeah, well, I'm going to watch it. Uh, I'm also waiting for Death Note, which means I'm a glutton for punishment because I'm sure the American Netflix Death Note is going to be horrible, too. All right, moving on. Next one. Um, Next, Metroid is going to have Amiibo functionality. Yeah, Metroid Samus Returns, which was announced at E3, which, which is a remake of Metroid 2. Sean and I are both looking very forward to. Absolutely. Um, however, they're going to lock some game modes and some functionality against Amiibo, which typically Amiibo has been more cosmetic as opposed to game modes. Well, I don't know. We've seen them kind of bridge into that gap with a few games. So, like, Shovel Knight had the second player functionality. Not anymore. They, I mean, that, But they unlocked it they eventually. They did, yeah. It was, it, and, yeah. and then we have the whole Breath of the Wild thing where if you take any of the Link Amiibos or Zelda Amiibos or Ganondorf or any of those, no matter when they came out, they'll give you some kind of random thing for the game. It doesn't break the game, though. Right. And there's a lot of people out there who are complaining that this locking away of game modes is forcing people to buy amiibos yeah and it really sucks when you can't buy amiibos because they're not on shelves well that's a very valid point uh, I, I luckily already have zero suit samus so yeah i i need to buy i'm trying to find samus in her armor and then they're releasing two new amiibos one which is samus annealing with her gun hand in up. the pose of the cover art for the original metroid 2 and, and then in a metroid breaking out of a capsule um, which is actually the baby Metroid from yes. the end of Metroid to beginning of Super Metroid. So, th- I mean, as usual, the Metroid Amiibos are really cool, but I don't know. I haven't, I, I did a few, I was at Target and I was at Meyer, and, and I think I went, uh, where was the other place I went to? Anyway, Target and Meyer today, just to see, did they have any of the Samus Amigo, Amiibos? Amigo Amiibos? Ami- Amigos, yes. Any of Samus's friends? Um, they had actually Zero Suit Samus at Meyer, but they didn't have the traditional Metroid armor Samus. Well, that was a that was a launch Metroid. That was like the yeah, first. I know. Yeah, which surprised me. I was like, you can't find Zelda, the original Zelda from Smash Brothers, but you can still find Zero Suit Samus. So here's my thought on this: maybe Nintendo is trying to force 
or reinvigorate the sales of some flagging amiibo characters by integrating some of these functionalities. No, no. that would be planning. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to disagree with them that. I feel like they're like, hey, we have a Metroid game. We're going to sell two new Metroid amiibos that are only going to work with this game. So we have to add some functionality around them. The zero suit um, mode and the hard mode. Um, or no, it's fusion mode. Fusion mode, yeah. It's with the Metroid amiibo, the new one. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, I forget. I think it gives you missiles with the original Samus. Well, you get regular, you get missiles and you get energy tanks. With the two originals. Whoop-dee-doo. Yeah, which you can earn just by unlocking them. So, anyway. yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just, every time I see Amiibo, I, I like collecting Amiibo, but the the whole premise of what they're selling, what mm-hmm. Amiibo do, yeah, isn't very good. If it was truly DLC, like, hey, here's an expansion or a new character that you can only unlock with Amiibo, I think they'd sell more. But I don't think they want to put that paywall up. I think it's weird. Again, it goes back to planning. Yeah. Um, because then I don't think they'll, they'll run into the NES classic problem, which is everybody will want that. And it'll be tied to a physical manufacturing thing that they don't have the capacity to make. Right. And then you'd have to sell it separately, which devalues the Amiibo in the first place. I think uh super Mario maker was one of the best implementations of Amiibo. Like all of the Amiibo worked for the most part when that game was released and mm-hmm. it just unlocked a little character a sprite or a stamp or you know yeah. yeah that's all it did it was a little sprite with little sound effects and that was it and it was really cool so um, it's a nice bonus but it in no way limited your experience in the game absolutely now so that's the big argument with this is well what if i'm one of those people who wants to play you know fusion samus mode with the fusion suit powers well okay now i have to go buy this amiibo i i'm betting just just because, you know, Nintendo is infinitely predictable. That those unlocks will come without an Amiibo eventually. I'm betting that they will have some, either a patch that it releases it, or they'll have a small bit of DLC that allows it. But it's, it's a 3DS game. I so, don't think they will. You don't I, think so? No. You don't I think, think they care enough? No. You're assuming they're going to come back and care about those complaints. I mean... I'm trying to think of other amiibo functionality where like with the like with with Zelda. Mm-hmm. Your son really wants a particular amiibo to unlock. What do you remember what? Uh, I don't remember what it does in Breath of the Wild, but but like you can only get a Pona with two amiibos. Right. And one of them you can't buy anymore. Yeah. Which sucks. You know, and it's that kind of stuff where it's you have all these amiibos. Like there's like 20 different Zelda amiibos and the functionality is all the same. Yeah, you get a random hat. Yeah. Or <laughs> tunic. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, it's just like the Smash implementation of amiibo. It's like, oh, it unlocks a CPU you can fight against. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's funny because I've got I've now got both of the Cloud and both of the Bayonetta amiibos. Yeah, that's the other thing. You have a Cloud am- amiibo. Fantastic. It's amazing. It looks great. It only works in Smash Brothers. Yeah. And all it does is unlock CPU in Smash Brothers. Exactly. And even if you don't have the DLC, it unlocks the CPU in Smash Brothers. So you can fight Cloud but not play as him. Yeah. So Here's the other thing. There's a Ryu amiibo. Yes. They released Street Fighter 2 for the Switch with zero amiibo functionality. <laughs> You have no idea if it's going to work in the future or not with anything. 
It probably won't. Uh, they've moved on. They don't even make those anymore. They st- they, they got to make five more Fire Emblem characters for the next line of Amiibo. Which, oh by the gosh. way, there are three of them coming. I know. I know. I, there's two coming that I've pre-ordered. But once Fire Emblem comes out, there's going to be 20 Fire Emblem Amiibos. Right, which is just generic fantasy people with an anime look. This guy has green hair and a blue sword. Ugh. She has purple hair and a lightning sword. Great. She's an archer. Speaking of fantasy characters that are not all that distinct, why don't we move on to our next tangent? Go for it. Did you hear this thing about Game of Thrones where some bad people broke in and stole a bunch of information off the HBO servers about Game of Thrones and they're releasing this bad information on the internet about Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones? Yes, Game of Thrones. HB's leading series nominated for several awards, Game of Thrones? Yes. <laughs> uh, so we've had another hack. A big surprise, right? Big media company getting hacked, and of course it's Game of Thrones. One of the largest shows in the world right now. Yeah, and for the last eight years, or nine years now, I think there's so many gaps between seasons. We're probably like 14 years into this and don't realize it because they're on season seven. And we have to wait another year for season eight, which is the final season or whatever. If you watch it, you know, not that I've ever seen an episode. You really haven't seen a single episode? I've not seen one. Um, I'm not going to force you to watch it, but I do have all of the released seasons so far on. Everybody says it's great. I'll wait till it ends and then I'll start and then I'll be like, oh my gosh, guys, have you seen this show? Game of Thrones. Did you do that with Lost? (laughs) I did, and I only watched the first season of Lost, and I got tired of it. Uh, well, I, I wish I could tell you it got better. Yeah. Um, it did for, like, seasons two and three were really good for Lost, and then, they, you know, yeah. By season six, you're like, why am I still watching this? I like shows where I like the characters, and there wasn't many characters in Lost. I so, liked. another reason not to watch Game of Thrones, because yeah. as soon as you <laughs> like a character, they die. Yeah. And you know that going in, so I yeah. guess it's not as bad for you. So, but, yeah, the Sony hack, the HBO hack, another hack. Yeah, HBO's been hacked like three times, and this is the point where they're releasing scripts, they're releasing video. I mean, is anybody surprised by this? I'm not. I, I guess I'm I, I'm kind of apathetic to this whole se- computer security thing. You know, I just wish it would go away. Yeah, I, if you just sleep and maybe it will just blow over. Yeah, it's I mean, got to blow over, right? Nobody even cares about computer security anyways. No, no. It's not a thing. <laughs> just make sure your password's, like, not password. And then or admin123. Yeah, like that. You put put an exclamation at the end at least. Yeah. Or then they can't guess it. I, I found this trick out the other day. If you put a space in a password, it you can do that. It breaks computers. yeah um for those who don't know about my day job what is your day job sean i i tell people how to implement computer security and they ignore me so you're saying you're for computer security in reality very much so tell me sean if i just make my password not password i should be pretty safe right like You'll the people s- at HBO, they should just make like a really long password that's like HBO is the home of Game of Thrones, and that's a good password. Well, mathematically, that's harder to crack, but it's not a good password. 
Um, we won't get into it. This is not a maths podcast, and it's not a security podcast. We're talking about video games. You know, important things that change people's lives, unlike computer security. Game of Thrones is not a video game, Sean. It is actually a video game by Telltale. Well, we're not talking about that. We're talking <laughs> about the show. You're not going to win. I'm not going to win. You're so, okay, they win. got hacked. Are we, do we care? So, uh, I, I, I guess I'm kind of at the point where if they weren't doing the right things to protect themselves, and the reality is, again, my, from my experience, if you're playing defense, you only have to make one mistake, and the bad guys can get in. So, don't feel too bad for HBO, because you know what? Studies show that hacks like this, where people release spoilers and video have absolutely nothing but a positive effect on their bottom line. Yeah. The only thing it might do is influence some contracts that they have with people we'll never know or see. But any news is good news. It's hype. And that's a show that definitely could use more hype. Yeah. Nobody's talking about it. I've never heard it. Just like their show that they're talking about making next called Confederacy, which everybody's talking about for no reason. Well, there's reason to talk about it. It doesn't exist yet, so there's it, not much well, to talk you're about. Right. There's nothing to critique yet because it doesn't exist. But yeah. you know, we're thinking about this idea where the Confederacy wins the war and they're still slaves, and we're going to make a TV show of it. Yeah, no. How about just no? You just don't. Okay. Oh, well, yeah. Well, we get the man in the high castle where the Nazis win World War II. But it's a, it's a little different, though. I I think so. I I, I think so a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's a different kinds. Everybody loves to hate Nazis. Well, who doesn't hate Nazis? I, mean, I think Nazis hate Nazis. Yeah. Except maybe neo-Nazis because they're new at it. Yeah. They haven't learned to hate themselves enough yet. Right. But uh, And not to disenfranchise our neo-Nazi members of the audience. But wait, I, if we have any, was, we don't want you here. I was like, hold on, <laughs> what? I, I had a serious look at Sean like, what? We don't want to offend any neo-Nazis out there. Well, hey, do your job to society and punch a Nazi in the face today. Don't advocate violence, man. Okay. That gives gamers a bad rap because we're all so violent. So don't punch Nazis? No, shoot them. Gun violence is much cleaner. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> moving right on. This is a weird show. I'm just well, we've had a few weeks off, so we'll kind of get back into it. Star Trek Adventures RPG. Yes. So the latest tabletop RPG for the Star Trek setting has been released. Uh, well, it's being released right now. It's out in PDF. It's coming out in print, and, and it gets its big unveil at uh, Gen Con um, on the 14th or 15th, I think it is. Sometime this month in the teens. Um, I, I did all my research for this episode. Um but it is new using a system uh, that's been also used in the Conan tabletop game called the 2D20 system. Um, it's not like a Dungeons & Dragons game. It's it's a little bit more freeform, uh, a little bit rules light, which I think better suits the kind of Star Trek gameplay. Um, actually, if you're interested in seeing a little bit about it, the Geek & Sundry um, Twitch channel is actually running... Uh, an episode or a, a show right now called Shield of Tomorrow, where they are live playing a um, Star Trek Adventures RPG game, just like they did with Critical Role. So what era of, is it TOS? Is so it a mixture? It covers everything. It talks about everything from Enterprise all the way up to um, basically 
near the end of Deep Space Nine. So it doesn't go all the way through what they call the prime timeline. So this is not the J.J. Abrams verse. This is the original Star Trek timeline. Um, and it focuses largely on the Next Generation era, but it also has a lot of information about what you would call the old ser- original series or classic Star Trek. There's, there's information kind of sprinkled through the entire 400-page rulebook, most of which is actually setting information. Uh, it's not mechanics. So... It's it really gives you the tools if you've got a little you do a little bit of research you use a websites like um, Memory Alpha, which is the wiki for Star Trek knowledge. Uh, you could easily set the game in any time setting, so it's not a problem. But the whole concept is that your characters, your team, are the bridge crew of one of these ships in Starfleet, and you get assigned to a specific ship. Uh, they've also introduced what they call a living campaign, which is kind of a an interactive campaign that a bunch of people can run at the same time with their own characters and it, they use a common setting and a common ship and common scenarios that they give away for free. So they have a, a storyline that goes through a year and D&D does the same thing. There's a living um, functionality, a living campaign for D&D that goes so along. it's like a season. Yeah, there's seasons, basically. Yeah. And uh, so if you want to do old ser- original series or you want to do Next Generation, there's versions of that storyline that take place in both. Um, and, and, you know, it's Star Trek, so it's all about exploration and new life and new civilizations. Teamwork. Teamwork is a big piece of it. Um, it is not your typical kind of orc, elf, fighter, mage kind of situation. And, and if you're somebody who you get kind of turned off by fantasy and you like science fiction, you like, you know, exploring the galaxies and thinking of other worlds, um, this is a great game to pick up. And it's pretty easy to learn the mechanics. And I've been playing Star Trek role-playing games since, oh god, it would be the mid-80s. With the old FASA series boxes, which that game today, when I reread those books, there's some great information in them for setting. But the game mechanics were just so hard to adapt to a modern player. Um, This is very much easy. You use 2d20 to roll to to resolve things, and you have a bunch of six-sided dice... I mean, stuff, if you play D&D, you've got in your box anyways. Are there ship battles and going to it does. the surface, away teams? It has, it, it supports all of those different modes of kind of Star Trek gameplay. Um, you, there is a tactical ship combat piece to it where you, as members of the bridge crew, you actually interact in a combat and it's a ship versus ship. Uh, they're not selling ship miniatures because there's already ways you can get it, but they're like, they they are selling like, next generation and old classic series star trek character managers that you can use in your game and romulans and klingons and all that stuff so if you're a fan of star trek and you wanted to play a role-playing game and you don't want to play you know DD, um the new book is is worth checking out and it's it's designed really well it, it looks like an l cars so if you've known next generation data pads and then those kind of weird designs with the lines the whole book is laid out that way so and it's got a lot of really I think inventive kind of fiction in the book interspersed where they kind of give you a feel for each of the different factions. And that's like communications between like the Tal Shiar and the Romulan government about the Federation and there's stuff from the Klingon high council and it's all written in universe and character. So it can really help you get your mindset into the Star Trek universe. Can you play as a Wesley crusher like character who's like horrible at everything, but ends up saving every mission? I'm sure you could. I would not recommend it. 
Shut up, Wesley. Hey, as I've said many times, I'm an original signatory on the Usenet group alt.wesley.crusher.die.die.die. <laughs> so, next. Next. 3D movies. Yeah. What about them? They're dying. What? IMAX says that people prefer 2D movies. Really? After all these years of trying to make people watch 3D movies, IMAX says people prefer 2D. Now, I read this article about this, and I think that there's a grain of truth to people shifting back to more traditional, but I think it may be because a ticket to see a 3D movie is $37 a person. It may also be because 3D is usually pretty bad because it's just kind of thrown on after these. Well, this is remember Avatar kicked off the 3D craze, and that was a movie that was designed for 3D. Whereas most of the movies we get are what they call converted, which means they kind of simulate the 3D using a computer. And it doesn't always work. It Yeah. I, I don't like it. I've... There, Avatar was the one film where I was like, this was pretty cool, but it was, Avatar wasn't a groundbreaking. It wasn't a good movie. It was an okay movie. Yeah. I mean, it was a sort of like, oh, bad guys, good guys. I love the visual visual design and cinematography. It it looked great. The storyline, however, with the Noble Savage storyline, I could. Uh, Yeah. So I'm, I'm just like, meh. I, I don't go to see 3D films. I'm not. If there's a choice, if there's 2D showing an hour later, I will go see 2D. Well, there's two reasons to do that. One, you're probably going to get into the 2D showing. And I've been having trouble lately getting into the 3Ds and the big ultra screens because they're always 3D. And, uh, and if you don't get the right seats in an ultra screen 3D movie, you might as well not go see it. If you're on the left side or way up close, they, they tune those 3D projectors for the optimal viewing distance. And they look like crap. So I don't I don't think IMAX is saying anything we didn't already kind of know. Well, I mean, it was just like TVs for the for the longest time. They were pushing those 3D TVs. Yep. Have your friends over and put on these stupid glasses. Um, and then it was, hey, 3D TVs, you know, and I know those are dumb. But look, curved TVs. Those are also dumb. Yeah, and, uh, now we're at 4K UHD TVs, moving towards 8K TVs. Yeah, we haven't even hit four. Let's shoot for eight. <laughs> Pretty soon, 16K. More than your eye can actually see. Well, no, they're going to do four, then they'll do eight, and then they'll go back to the... Uh, UHD 8? The, no, they'll go back to measuring horizontally instead of vertically. Oh, yeah. You know, so then it will be like 32HD. <laughs> Don't get me started. It's just all gimmicks. That's all it is. It's marketing because guess what happens when you buy a TV that lasts for 25 years? You don't buy another TV for 25 years. And when they only cost $600? You, uh, you, that's a pretty good deal. Those companies don't sell many TVs because you hit a saturation point. And they hit that saturation point with LCD TVs and high-def TVs within five years. Yep. If you think about it. You can't even buy a CRT tube. You can't. No, they stopped manufacturing them. In fact, the Smash Brothers community is kind of sad about that. Well, they're kind of sad in general. (laughs) But that's because they're waiting for the new Wii upscaled version on the Switch. Yeah, that's coming. It is coming next year. You know it's coming next year. I know. 
They did it with Mario Kart. They're going to do it with Smash Brothers. I wanted it this year. Oh, there's your disappointment. Of course. <laughs> Speaking of Nintendo disappointments. What? Disappointment? I'm setting you up. Yes. Uh, there's a new game that came out a couple weeks ago. It's in Nintendo's library of games. Splatoon 1.5. Exactly. That's where the disappointment <laughs> I was. I was waiting. Because um, I've seen it. It is not markedly different from Splatoon it's, 1. It's not. It's a, it's a lot of minor changes. Um, you know, new maps, a couple different power-ups, a couple other cosmetic things. I mean, there is a new Horde mode, which I've played, which is pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ability to actually play with your friends online when you want is pretty cool. Um, having to go, you don't have to go into the f- stupid phone app, but I tried <laughs> All the to. voice chats. <laughs> oh my God, is it a, it is, there is no user experience expert working for Nintendo because that is, it's like, it's like, okay. Yeah, if you go back a few episodes of the podcast, you'll see where we talked about this. Okay, don't worry. This is only a, it's a quick 30 steps. It's a, it's the fastest 30 steps to go through to get this to work. Um, yeah. That being said, I've been playing it for the last few weeks. That's been my game I've been playing. Yeah, um, we were supposed to record this around two, and it's actually, we didn't get started till much later because Jared, I'm like, hey, Jared, are you up? And he's like, yeah, I'm up, but I'm going to get a few hours of splat in, and then I'll come over. Yeah. It's a splat fest. Yeah, and what are the colors for the splat fest this week? Oh, <laughs> I was hoping you'd bring this up. So, so this so, for those who don't know about Splatfest, explain how that works. So what the the Splatfest is an in-game event, you know, like uh Overwatch has had in-game events. A lot of online games have in-game events that last for a short period of time. Splatoons are sort of a versus. You choose a side. And previous examples have been Autobots versus Decepticons, uh SpongeBob versus Patrick Star, hamburgers versus hot dogs. Um Dogs versus cats. Well, this week's Splatfest this is, horrible. is ketchup versus mayonnaise. And? And. Uh, so it's did- blood versus, and I'm not going to use the other term, but just imagine this off-white yellowish oh, goo that you spray over. It's not white. <laughs> it's, it's man custard colored. It's and you're shooting this out of your guns at other people, and it splatters all over the place. Especially when it's on their face, you're just like, <laughs> "Oh no!" I somebody at Nintendo is either brilliant <laughs> or really, really stupid, or both. Well, or subversive as heck. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's <laughs> happening right now. Um, I'm sure there'll be plenty of memes that come out after this weekend. Anyhow, Splatoon 2, if you didn't play the original, it is totally worth it. Um, If you did play the original, there's not a lot there other than the fact that you can play it on your Switch, which because you didn't own a Wii U, you can play it. So I should... Is it available for the Wii U? (laughs) No. Why not? If it didn't really change it, why wouldn't they release it on the Wii U also? Because it's not... Because nobody owns Wii U's. Nobody's got one. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So anyhow, yeah, that's our last big Nintendo. Um, yeah, it's our last big first-party Nintendo game until we get Mario Odyssey. Not true. Samus comes out in September for the Switch. Okay, you didn't add that piece. I didn't add that qualifier. So the only one I care about is coming out in September. 
Because I'm not getting Mario Hatmaker or whatever it's called. You are totally going to get Mario Hatmaker. Yeah, What's probably. in September? Fire Emblem Heroes? Warriors? Or no, it's August. It's the end of this month is when Samus Returns comes out. No, it's, no that's September. Yeah, it's September. I yeah. We're talking about Switch. I don't. So? I don't have one. Yeah. I actually walked away from buying one today. And you've been bugging me. Like, if you see it go on sale, let me know. And yeah, then you're like, well. eh. I had my moment where I'm looking down and the one rainbow-colored, fantastic switch boxes in the cabinet at a Target. And I'm like, do I want to spend $300 on this? Really? And then not have anything to play on it? Not have anything to play on it. I, I'd have to spend another $60 to buy something. Well, yeah, you have to buy games. Right. But a lot of them are games that you can get elsewhere exactly <laughs> at this point i'm not i'm still not committed but I, I just, arms don't even <laughs> arms. i'm gonna guys uh listeners i am going to get sean to play arms one of these days yeah, the flick game no it's more like a wah game oh it's like doing push-ups in the air yeah yeah it's pretty close and then turning we sports boxing too yeah Anyhow. okay so we so, should move on to our main topic let's which we'll have like five minutes for at this point because we've been recording for like 45 minutes, right? Um, we've been recording for 37 minutes. Oh, okay. So we get 10 more minutes before. Okay. Our main topic. So. So. Co-op games. Playing games with others in a cooperative way. Not against each other. But as buddies and pals. To accomplish an objective. Or not. Why would you do that? Well, I'd do it because I'm just not that good at competitive games and I hate losing. But I just want to shoot you in the face. Well, that's great. You can sometimes do that in co-op games, too. But uh, the whole concept here is, you know, and this is an old idea that gaming is a social thing, right? And over the last 15 to 20 years, we've seen it move further and further away from a shared kind of experience with two people with controllers sitting on a couch playing a game, which is just a two-player game. It's not a co-op game. And to a number of games that were came out where you had to work together to achieve a goal. That's where cooperative gaming came from. And whether that was done with a split screen or whether that was, you know, two people stuck on the same screen. Look at the Lego games. Lego games are a perfect example of a cooperative gaming experience. Beat-em-ups? Well, the old-fashioned final fights and, yeah, the, the, the beat-em-ups, the double dragons of the world. Contra. Contra is a great co-op game. Um, so co-op has been really kind of in the DNA of gaming since the beginning. And I don't know if a lot of people are playing co-op games today unfortunately i mean i i love co-op games and there's a huge community of people if you think about minecraft and you know terraria starbound um fortnite which just came out those are all cooperative games where you're working with other players to kind of achieve something hopefully achieve something even if you're playing against another team you're playing together to to achieve against your team instead of their team and, I, and where I'm kind of going and what I thought we'd talk about a little bit on this is what brings people into cooperative experiences and why would you want to play a cooperative game? So I know 
um, not just video games, but gaming in general, board games, mm-hmm. I love cooperative board games because I think it's a good way to bring a group together, especially if, you, if, if you're playing with people that don't game that often. It sets everybody at ease because you're kind of playing the system yes. as opposed to somebody knows the rules and this person doesn't know the rules very well and you're kind of playing against each other kind of well and you can help each other out and it's there's no penalty for it right and if you think about people who i would call casual gamers people who don't play filthy casuals not filthy casuals i don't i don't think casual is a bad thing to be i don't either um somebody just doesn't play very often or doesn't have an interest in everything that you do as a gamer uh, the best way to get them involved in your hobby and to share some of this with them is to find a cooperative game where they're not competing against you with your superior skills and intellect, but, you know, as their plebeian background allows them to, you know, elite gamers speak BS. But the whole idea is that you, you want this shared fun. And I, I find it interesting, especially when you have class-based cooperative games where somebody can pick a specific class that has specific skills and then you have somebody your character will have different skills or you'll have different class and then the the two of you working together or the four or the six or however many people you're talking about completely changes the dynamic of how the game gets played and we're seeing kind of a resurgence in certain genres around this obviously the survival genre cooperative is is big uh, in the multiplayer survival games so I'm not talking Friday the 13th, which is a hacker kind of slashing game. No, but you could reference Left 4 Dead, for example. Left 4 Dead, Minecraft. Minecraft. Minecraft is a perfect example of a cooperative game where you... It is a survival game. I mean, it's marginal if you actually die. You don't have permanent death or anything like that. But you can work together with other people to create things. And that's really what it's all about but where we're starting to see an evolution is cooperative storytelling so traditionally you know your role-playing games have very deep storytelling elements and and some games are very very hard about they want to tell a specific story with your character's perspective games like the witcher are not good candidates for a cooperative experience you're telling Geralt's story and not everybody can be Geralt so it's tightly controlled they want certain things to happen But if you look at a game like Diablo, Diablo 3 is, I mean, there's a very thin storyline there, but it's really about all of you building a team and then going and killing things and getting the best loot. Um, If you want to get deeper, Divinity Original Sin, which was a big um, kickstarted RPG, and we've talked about it once or twice, I think, before. Uh, The sequel to that is coming out, Divinity Original Sin 2. That's a mouthful. Um... But one of the things they're doing is they're putting split screen and they're giving players the ability to completely play within the same game session independently. So if I want to go into the city, your character can turn around and just walk around and go do something else. And usually when you play cooperative games, people tend to have to be close to each other, especially in the storytellings. Or you have to create a party or you have to create a session you yeah. to join the session. And, yeah. and they're it's trying to seamless. everything they can do to make it very seamless. They're also still doing split screen. And the other thing that they announced this week, which is really interesting, is they're allowing multiple controllers on the same system. So the same computer to play split screen. So you and I could both have half of our screen real estate and independently control using game controllers. 
So they're, they're really trying to bring the barrier to entry way down to encourage people to play together. But, uh, I mean, when you think about cooperative, though, one genre you probably don't think too much about is the first-person shooter. But even that we've seen a rise in. Yep. I mean, you and I play Destiny together on rare occasions. Destiny, Borderlands. Borderlands is, Borderlands is better with more people. I mean, they purposely made the mechanics so that you get better loot drops when you have more people playing. And they're not so narratively driven that you can't just experience your own story inside the game. But we often also overlook things like party games. Jackbox Party Pack. Jackbox Party Pack. uh, You know, Just Dance, Rock Band, the old Guitar Hero games. Those were all meant to be played with other people. And in the same room. Well, or on the internet. You couldn't play live music with them, but you could compete with leaderboards. I, I would argue that like Rock Band and Just Dance are games that you are best enjoyed in the same room. I think so too, because then you can point and laugh. Right. Which is the best part of those games. Um I don't know. So is there anything that we've we've not talked about that you can think of as far as types of party games or types of co-op games and you know why you would want to be You could throw Mario Party in there, I guess. Mario Party is a board game effectively. It's a board game, but I guess it's versus, so it's not really co-op. Um but it, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean there there's that line of split screen gaming mm-hmm. where it's sort of versus and then there's that line of games that are cooperative where you're working together to achieve a goal you know like party games are still sort of versus you're still kind of facing off in a competition rock band maybe not so much because you're both all playing together as part to, of the same band to play a song yep um you know but yeah i, th- I think you're right i think it's it's one of those we're seeing more of those joining up sort of games um mm-hmm. what am i thinking of path of exile yep is which a is a one. action rpg um and elite dangerous you know sort of even though it, it depends are you are you considering cooperative games where you can join up with a party to play against other players so from my view i, I think that fits into the mold but what I would say, if I were looking to define what a cooperative game is, it's where a number of people come together and have to work towards the same goal. Right. And they, again, they bring their own play style, their own skills, and, and they contribute to the whole. It's, it's group gaming. Right. And that's something, I mean, we've seen it in the massively multiplayer games for years. Like World of Warcraft, you have your big raids and all that stuff in the MMOs and, and, and that's one version of it, but that's not, to me, that's not really a pure version of it because that's all of us playing in isolation and then kind of coming together. For me, a co-op game is really about the human in a room experience. Mm-hmm. And as we've moved towards internet co-play, I think we've kind of lost the heart of that. And, and, and I'll, you know, Left 4 Dead is a good example on the consoles, not necessarily on the PC, um, you can play multiple people in the same room on the same team. And there's that's just, it's fun to coordinate and to talk and, you know, be able to help each other and, and, and build things together. I mean, they're introducing Stardew Valley is going to have a um, an online multiplayer 
and sometime in I think October or September they're saying. Uh, so we're starting to see a lot of these games kind of move that direction again. But again, well, I say again twice there. Um, the challenge for me is that they still feel impersonal unless there's somebody in the room with you. And what I would propose that people should think about doing, and, and we've become kind of hermits, right? We're sitting down here in my vault. What? No. If we want to play a game together, I get over there and put my headphones on and I look at my monitor and you go over there to your house and play. And on I get monitor. on my phone and then I hook it up to my switch and then I hook my head. <laughs> and nobody talks to you because it doesn't work. Um, but I, I want to see people kind of embrace this and start doing what I call a co-op parties. You know, we talked about the, the, the Mario Kart tournament that we put together at the last minute around the 4th of July. Um, and that's a great competitive party, but I think it'd be more interesting to have everybody get together and do like a Minecraft day, you know, or, or, or something a little bit more objective based. Yeah. But the problem with Minecraft or something like that, where there is no true objective. And I mean, you can download mods where you can make it an objective, but I mean, that's a little more open-ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have your, your gears of war or your other sort of co-op shooters, you're just shooting through, or like you said, with the beat-em-ups, you're just punching through to a boss. Yeah. Um, you know, you're seeing... It, it's it's difficult. I don't, I don't think there are really any really good examples of, like, what you're talking about. Of, you know, we'd talk about the action RPGs and stuff for mm-hmm. your class. But let's talk about a game like Pandemic. A board game. Yeah. And you're talking about class-based. And that's really a good game of where communication is key because um, you need to know what you're capable of doing and what I'm capable of doing. And when we're doing our turns, we need to make sure that we're maximum efficiency. Right. Yeah, you can save these people, but if you don't know what I'm going to do next, then that may go against the right. goal. And, and for those who haven't played Pandemic the board game, the idea is that you are... Each of the players has a set role as a member of a uh, Center for Disease Control anti-virus team and, or anti-bio team. I forget what they call it. But basically the idea is like one of you will be the dispatcher who's the ability who does all the logistics work and moves people. One of you will be a researcher who goes into the jungle and figures out you know rare plants. One of you will be um, the medical doctor who knows how to treat patients. And each player has a special ability, and you have to work as a team to try and fight this kind of faceless virus. As it, you have outbreaks all over the world, and you've got to fly people in, and you've got to know which areas are more important than others. Uh, to some extent, you have gameplay like that in games like XCOM, too. Right. right. Where you're trying to secure funding, and you've got multiple things. There's so many things going on in the world that you're fighting against that you have to pick and choose your battles. And that's, that's kind of the... Um, mechanic that drives people to work together you have to communicate at the table there's another game that um uh, i would wanted to bring up is uh you ever heard of keep talking and nobody explodes yes i've heard of it. this so for those that don't know this is a good example of i think a, a good co-op game and theoretically it doesn't have to even be a video game but it is um the concept is this one person is either in the vr headset or in a PC, it doesn't matter. Um, the rest of everybody, it could be up to three or four or five players, are the support team. Here's the premise. 
The one person is alone in a room with a bomb that's about to explode, and they have no idea how to defuse it. The support team that's separate, you know, they are not in the same room. The only way you can communicate is through voice is the support team. They have a manual mm-hmm. that basically tells they can walk through and help the person defuse the bomb, but it's not that straightforward. The person has to describe what the bomb looks like. Okay, it's got three red wires. The serial number is this. It has this module. So the people in the with the manual have to go through and say, okay, it's got this. Okay, are the are they in this order? All this, yep. all this different variables. Um, that to me is sort of what we're talking about. Well, and actually, I think the ultimate form of what we're talking about is the escape room. Yeah, the escape room. Yeah. Where you lock a bunch of people in a room and say, figure out the clues to get out. It's kind of the same thing where everybody brings their own perspective and their own skills. That's the purest form in a, in a physical sense. Right. Um, but yeah, t- keep talking or, or and nobody explodes is one of those games that it's got a very unique or it's, it's like, you know, uh, Town of Salem is another cooperative game that people probably have played. I don't know. I, I guess what I kind of lament to an extent and I have you know, all those years of running land parties where they were largely competitive, right? So we're playing team fortress or we're playing, you know, battlefield or something like that. And you've got team on team and they're, they're fighting objectives and trying to defuse the bomb on the map to stop the terrorists or whatever. I, I just think that there's a value in getting a bunch of people together to, to collaborate on something. Absolutely. And, in, and you learn a lot about your friends when well, they're in that I situation. Think what that ultimately goes back to is something we've talked about before. That's why tabletop RPGs are still sort of that mm-hmm. big way of doing that. And they've because... never really found a way to make it work. On, yeah. and, 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 you know, we've got all the critical role, and we talked about Shield of Tomorrow and all these people who use Twitch and YouTube to record their RPGs and you get to watch them play. And you can play on Roll20 or what have you, but there's still not much that replaces the kind of feel of sitting around the table and playing shadows over Camelot or house on the hill. You know, but it, I think we are seeing a, a, a rise in sort of semi cooperative games. Um, you could argue that Splatoon is cooperative. It's team based team based. Yeah. I think but it's still team based competition. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess you could, if you look at any game that has a horde mode, those mm-hmm. are sort of like the... Where the enemy is just a wave after wave of, right. of computer control. Halo puppets. started that, and Gears of War had that, Splatoon has one. Yep. Um, other first-person shooters have added them over time. Yeah, moving away from the everybody's trying to kill each other, the, the every man for himself kind of gameplay. Right, but those, again, the skills that each player has are pretty similar. You know, you could put any four combination and they'll probably... And well, and then it comes down to whether or not they have good reflexes and understand how the game works. Right. Um, so if you were to host a game party to do co-op games, what would you what would you pick? If I were doing co-op games, I don't, I don't think I'd play many video games. I mean, I, I have a list of multiplayer games I think are good, but they're all competitive to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking at a list that's going to go in the show notes. But, you know, I think I'd pick games like Pandemic and and games of that nature. Um, what's what's the one? 
where you're all in the house together. Is that House on the House Hall? on the Hill? Yeah. yeah, I think it's a good one because it for the most po- for the well, most until the part end. it's a co-op. Yeah, yeah. until the <laughs> end. But I think that you the know, Shadows still- over Camelot's the same way. Yeah, right. There's a bunch of the there was a rise in tabletop uh, board games over the last few years that were co- cooperative. Um, well, if you think about Settlers of Catan, yes, somebody actually ultimately wins, but it's also a cooperative game. Yeah, you There's, you have, you have to, play to talk with and work with each other yeah. in order to advance your goals. But you still have to. That's still one where you're sort of uh, Settlers of Catan can really you can, can turn friends against each other exactly. because they have wood for sheep. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and it is there's a competitive aspect to it, but there's some others. Um, San Juan isn't competitive. There's there's other things like that where you're just trying to make the whole better. Uh, but anyway. So, I mean, the the classic co-op games that I think of mm-hmm. are beat-em-ups and Contra and, like you said, Gunstar Heroes, uh, Guardian Heroes, those sort of games. Yeah. Because those are good. Just sit down, accomplish, work towards the end, beat the boss, move on. Um I would, I, now that you mention it, it's like uh, I'd like to see more games where each player has a role that only they can do. And I know that they're – oh, I just thought of one. Okay. Um, uh, what was it? Monaco. Do you remember Oh, yeah, game? Monaco. Yeah, we're basically doing a heist. You're doing a heist, and that, that just does have like six or seven different classes you can play as yep. that are pretty unique in how you accomplish the goals. So, yeah, that's one I would pull out. Um now i think about it Hmm. but are there many games like that well and i don't so here's the thing i may have a false sense of people wanting to be together yeah i think you do that most people probably don't want to make the time or can't coordinate adults have trouble enough with their schedules right Mm -hmm. and in here i go on my deep thought of the podcast i seem to be doing this more often lately (laughs) we're not making time for each other Right, We have all of these busy lives and we have all this going on. And there's a value in saying, let's come together and build something. right? Let's come together and, and play a game. And we build that experience instead of just being always about tearing down or, or you know, trying to show who's best. Um, I see it a lot with gamers, especially those who aren't socially adept, where they have this tendency to want to rub people's noses in their ability to play video games. And I think it's because their lack of socialization comes out because they're not cooperating. Right. You know, I can think of it that Mario Kart tournament. We had a few players who, and it's all in good fun, but they were happy to show their mastery of the game and rub anybody else in. And then we had a bunch of people playing in that tournament who probably hadn't picked up Mario Kart in years, who just wanted to have fun playing with other people. Yeah, and there were a lot of people at that tournament that got seventh, and they're like, oh my gosh, that was fun, and I got seventh. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, so I, I kind of want to, I want to encourage people to think about it from that perspective, um, with your family. And I used to write a a column for Columbus parent that was about playing games, right? And it was traditional games, uh, playing games with your kids, why a game night is important to families. And we've, this was, you know, 10 years ago. This wasn't something that everybody talked about. It wasn't cool to play board games. It wasn't cool to play card games with your kids or, you know, and I even wrote a, I remember an article I wrote about how to play tag with your kids. Silly thing, right? But I talked about all the variants of tag and, you know, and, and the things that we played when I was a kid. Freeze tag. 
freeze tag, flashlight tag. Oh my gosh, we played so much flashlight tag yeah. as kids. So I mean, it's it's these kind of games that I don't see my kids playing. Maybe they do. Maybe the free the whole concept of free play has kind of gone out the door. But well, and that's there's a topic I've been wanting to talk about in the show, and it may or may not be next week. But we're in in this world of competitiveness. Yeah, you have esports taking over a large chunk of gaming now you know a lot Mm -hmm. of people are drawn to those games and then they watch other people play those games with massive superior skill but you're not seeing many cooperative esports games and if you are it's what we've talked about where it's like team-based but yeah we're not seeing you know high level because there's not a lot out there and i think there's just just this focus on competitiveness and being the best at something. Um, Are you, is your millennial showing? Is it? (laughs) Um, Cause, cause you know, the baby boomers will will tell you that all that matters is winning. Yeah. But I mean, there's more to, I mean, we, you and I have both played and that's why single player gaming fills a lot of people's voids because it's not cooperative, but at the same time, you it's you versus the world i mean it's a different concept you don't have to be the best at the game right but the whole experience you're getting out of playing a single player game is getting that story that experience that those memories those memories um those goals those those abilities using those abilities to, to achieve your goals and it's not just splatoon where it's you versus the other team and one team's shooting blood and the other's shooting jizz. Um, <laughs> I was avoiding using that word. Oh, sorry. I was going to, I actually came up with uh squiz earlier. Squiz. Yeah. yeah. Squid, squid jizz. Yeah. That's where, that's what I would do. Nice. But I mean, high class. Think about it. I mean, if you, even if you look at the beginning of, uh, like I like strategy games and mm-hmm. I loved playing strategy games in um, college and I like the, but it was still team based, right? It was two v two or one v one v one v one. It's all competitive. Yeah, risk is against somebody else. It's not against the world, right? And in, and that's where you fall into games like. Pandemic. And when you when you brought up board games, I mean, that's what all the original board games were. So I'm mm-hmm. actually happy to see. I mean, you have sort of a mix games too, where they're cooperative. But you're still trying to win. You're still trying to achieve your goals over everybody else, but you have to work together. So I've got, uh, well, I got three box games that I just bought in the last month, right? And you've, you've played one of them. Uh, Star Trek Panic. And then we had Star Trek Five-Year Mission because I was on a Star Trek bed because it came back. Anyway. And then there was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But there's also the Elder Signs game. And there's a bunch of board games that are all about team. Right, so the Buffy game, everybody plays as members of the the Buffy characters, and they're trying to beat the big bads. And you're not fighting a player; you're fighting the scenario. Five year mission for Star Trek: you have objectives that you have to meet, and each player has special abilities, and you have to gather enough cards to overcome an obstacle. Again, you're not playing against somebody; you're playing together against the game. And then Star Trek Panic is the same thing. You know, everybody has to coordinate, and you know work together to try and figure out how best to overcome the scenario. Right. And I think those, I think the other thing with those games, like you mentioned for some people that aren't socially adjusted 
is they've got to put the end goal above themselves. Yeah. Yeah, you have this really cool ability, right? Oh, whoop-de-doo. But it doesn't matter because... If you don't use it at the right time. Right. You've got to coordinate. It's like, hey, when's this going to work best? You don't just want to throw it out there because then you've used it. Right. And you, you've got to have that communication. Uh, and either all win or you all lose. So... Yep. That's very true. Isn't that true in life? That is true in life. I mean, that's a lot of, I mean, outside of um, games, when you, when you talk about leadership and teams, you've Mm -hmm. good leaders get people in that mentality of it. Yeah. You've done this. You're really good at this, but it's about building everybody together. Right. You know, it's, it's not, Oh, you check that off on your box and your is going to be really good. It's what are our goals as a team to do? Are we doing them? And nobody's, yeah, somebody's always going to be better than you. But, you know, you've got to find those weaknesses and strengths out of everybody to to work together. And you don't focus on somebody's weaknesses. You focus on strengths. Wow. Wow, I got really deep there. This is, again, we keep coming, at the end of these podcasts, we keep coming back down to these deep thoughts. Yeah. But, uh, so, I'd be interested in hearing from all of our listeners, all three or four of you that are left at this point. Um, and if there's more than three of you, let me know. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, we need at least four for a co-op game. <laughs> um, but, you know, what kind of co-op games do you enjoy? And, and where do you see gaming going? How do, we, how do we encourage people to play together instead of playing against each other? Um, and no, this isn't about a, precip- or a participation trophy or making everybody feel good about themselves. This is about actually teaching people the skills they need to succeed in life. There, I got really deep in it. Well, you're making me think, because I also want to do an episode about violence in games. Yeah. Because all these games that we're mentioning, the it's all about killing shit. I mean, there are... there. Um, there's some survival s- in here, too. Some. But, I mean... You, you still have, have to, to kill something kill to, survive. to survive. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think there's a lack of games that have alternate game styles where you're not having to do that yeah like i think um well don't know you're spoiling your episode let's let's save it for uh, that episode okay i I don't know if it's going to be the next episode or or the next i don't know we'll throw it out there yeah but but you know what i mean i think i think you're right there's a lot of competitiveness out Mm -hmm. there and and competition is good and as we've done this episode i was looking at our list and i'm like you know what there are a lack of video games that are cooperative yeah so all right so i think that's kind of our final thoughts yeah um let's move on to our one dumb thing let's do it and this is my one this dumb was, thing. this is your week so go for it the dark tower movie why first off it's nine or ten books and they condensed it down to 93 minutes even if you just did the first book they're starting in the middle of the story instead of actually starting at the beginning of the story. I can't see how, and, and I guess it's got having a good, uh, they, they said that it's got a fairly good box office this weekend, but I would imagine that's going to completely fall off a cliff after opening weekend because no one understands anything about the dark tower. It's not the most approachable Stephen King stories. He wrote them for himself over a long, long time in their fantasy stories. And there was no need to make this into a 90-minute movie. Aren't they 
also making a TV series. So that makes more sense to me. Maybe if they were using the movie to lead into a TV series. Right, which, but I mean, I think there's a TV series coming out yes. within the year. Yes. Which, if you want to do multimedia, and that was always the plan that they talked about, but that isn't what we're getting at this point. And we've got Matthew McConaughey playing a bad guy, which, all right, all right, all right, whatever. Um, <laughs> I just, Space just, McConaughey. We, we didn't need this. We don't need it. The books are really not translatable. And on top of that, if you figure that Stephen King purposely went out of his way to steal pop culture references to integrate into the books in a different way that you kind of have to think about. Like there's a whole episode or there's a whole book, Wizard and Glass, where they're fighting C-3PO. There's a bunch of C-3PO's riding on metal robot horses chasing the main characters for half the book. They're not going to put C-3PO on a robot horse and have him chase the, the characters. It's So you're losing the context. But anyway, why? That's that's all I have to say. Why? Because Hollywood's like, um, we need... We need a movie. Um, oh, Stephen King. He's bankable. I'm going to look at my bookshelf here. Yeah. Oh, Dark Tower. I uh, can't do the first book. That You will have to set it up and it will be boring. Uh, yeah. I love this part. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about this kid and this gunslinger. Uh, Wait. Well, you don't. What? Uh, but he's from another. Uh... Why? Well, that's it. Don't forget to uh, like, subscribe. All that fun stuff. Uh, we're at, at four score seven pongs on Twitter and Facebook. Um, we apologize for our lack of episodes the last few weeks. Sean has been busy. Yeah, I've been a little busy. Uh, Sean ran. Uh, how many miles did you ride on your bike? Well, so the full ride was three hundred and twenty-eight miles. I only did two days of it because I ended up having some family gatherings that were just as important. Um, so I did, I rode from Cincinnati to Columbus on a bike over two days. So right around 160 miles. Yep. And boy, did my butt hurt. <laughs> you messed up that joke. It's boy, are my arms tired. No, I didn't fly. And that's, that's fine. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> so we'll be back next week. I think. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll be, back. be back next We're week. We're going to be back. So, uh, Make sure you comment. Let us know what you want to hear. If there are any co-op games that we missed that are just blaring or glaring is the word I want to use, let us know and we'll talk about them. All right. All right. Till next week. Bye. Bye.